0: Well, you're already in Romans, hopefully. So, we're going to be looking this morning at Romans chapter 9, verse 30. And I was just going to try to finish chapter 9, but I think we're going to go through verse 4 of chapter 10, as long as this doesn't get too long. But I think we have plenty of time to cover all those verses. Um, and you'll, you'll see why, I think, when we get uh, toward the end of chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10. But to set us up for understanding what Paul is talking about here. Um, I, I want us to think about a few questions. Is it enough to read the Bible? If you, if you read the Bible, is, is that enough? Is it enough uh, if you try to obey the Bible? If you've got somebody who is reading the Bible and trying to live according to what they think the Bible says, is that person for sure a Christian? Is that enough? Is it possible to read the Bible and yet misunderstand it so thoroughly that you miss not only what the Bible is about, but you miss what it means to be a Christian? Is it possible that someone can study the Bible all their lives and not be a Christian, while somebody else who's never cracked a Bible in their life can hear the gospel for the first time and respond in faith and be saved? Is is that possible? It is. Think about some of the people in the Bible who knew the Bible well and yet did not respond with faith to Jesus. Think about Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus might have been saved later in his life, but the story he's most famous for is the story in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And he comes to talk to Jesus, and Jesus begins to tell Nicodemus that in order for him to enter the kingdom of heaven, he must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about, and they have a lengthy conversation, and in that conversation, Jesus says something like this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Nicodemus knew the Old Testament, had studied the Old Testament thoroughly, and yet when Jesus was right in front of him and explaining to him his need to be born again, he didn't get it. He didn't understand, and he didn't believe. What about the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day? Did those guys know the Bible? Have they studied the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. Thoroughly. They thought that they were the most diligent, disciplined uh, keepers of the law in Israel. They were devoted to obeying the Scriptures. And yet from Jesus' interaction with the scribes and the Pharisees and His uh, rebukes to the scribes and the Pharisees, we know that they did not really understand what they had read. How often did Jesus say to somebody, Have you not read... Not because he thought they hadn't read the verse that he was uh, quoting to them, but because though they had read it, they had not understood it. And because they had not understood it, they didn't respond the way that they were supposed to. We see the same problem uh, in the the nation of Israel as a whole, and Paul has been responding to that problem in Romans chapter 9. Most of the Jews in the first century did not respond to the gospel with faith. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And that is the problem that Paul is reckoning with in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11. But these questions are not just about why the Jews didn't believe Right? If it's possible for the Jews to be thoroughly acquainted with the Scriptures and yet totally miss their point, that means it's also possible for others, for Gentiles, to read the Bible, try to obey the Bible, think they believe the Bible, and yet miss its central message. That's what Paul is arguing here at the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, This is what Paul is arguing has happened to the Jews. It's not that they're ignorant of the scriptures. It's not that they haven't read them. But they have missed what they are about. They have pursued them in the wrong way. And that is what has led them astray. Now, before we get into the the details of this text, I want to acknowledge up front. I'm always standing on other people's shoulders whenever I preach and teach. But this week, this last part of Romans chapter 9, I found particularly interesting. Challenging, And so I'm leaning heavily on a few godly commentators um, who helped me wrestle with this passage. Because either either the passage is really tough, or I was just not 100% this week, and maybe a combination of the two. Uh, but just so you know, I, I, I'm, I gleaned a lot of help from some other people on this, and I'll point out one place in particular later. But let's work through this together. So uh, we know that Paul has said in chapter 9 that a remnant of the Jews have believed a small number of the total population, right, of Israel, of remnant, has believed in the Messiah. But most of them have rejected the Messiah. And Paul says, though though we might be surprised by that, Paul says that really shouldn't be unexpected based on, what happened in the Old Testament, based on how God dealt with his people in the Old Testament. The, the Jews often rejected the prophets that God sent to them, so it's no surprise that the greatest prophet, who's more than a prophet, Jesus, the Son of God, it's no surprise that many of the Jews rejected him as well. What's also surprising is that many Gentiles are believing. Many people who have never studied the law, who didn't have the scriptures, they are believing in Jesus the Messiah, but uh, Paul also says, you know, there's, there's grounds for that in the Old Testament too. If we read the Old Testament correctly, we'll see that ought not to be terribly surprising either. But it wasn't altogether expected, right? And so Paul says um, there in verse 30, What shall we say then? We've got this situation in front of us where many of the Jews we we expected to respond to the Messiah with faith have not. Many of the Gentiles who we would have expected not to care anything about the Messiah have turned to him in faith. What do we say to that? How do we explain that? Remember, one of the privileges of the Jews that Paul talked about back in Romans chapter 3 is is uh, that they had the scriptures. Romans 3, 1 and 2 says, what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's one of the main things that set them apart from the Gentiles. And yet, and yet, the Jews didn't respond to the scriptures rightly, and that has made... All the difference. So here's what we can say, Paul says in verse 30. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. Okay, so they, the Gentiles, they, they weren't trying to be right with God. Now, there were some, you know, in the book of Acts, we read about the God-fearers who would come to the synagogue. They they were Gentiles who did not convert to Judaism, but they were attracted to Judaism. And so uh, they would come and worship with the Jews, and they heard the scriptures, but they didn't convert. They weren't circumcised. They didn't become Jews. So there were some, but by and large, the Jewish world didn't care about being right uh, with the God of Israel. They they, they weren't pursuing righteousness uh, the way that God had laid it out, right? They they were not interested. But, he says in verse 31, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. So, God had given the law to Israel... And that law was meant to point them to the way to be righteous uh, in God's sight. And, And they were pursuing that law. They were devoting themselves to that law in order to be righteous with God. And yet, the people who were striving for that missed it. And the people who didn't care anything about that have it. Really? That's where we are? That's what's happened? How did that happen? How is that possible? Why has Israel missed it where the Jews have received it? How is it that the Jews are, many of them, not righteous in God's sight, but the Gentiles now are? Well, here's the problem. Verse 32. Why is it this way? Because... They, talking about the Jews still, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So the Jews had received the law, and they had received the scriptures, and they were pursuing the scriptures. They were trying to do what the law told them to do. But they had a fundamental misunderstanding of what the law was about and what it was for. They were using the law like a ladder. They were trying to climb the ladder. They were trying to do all the things so that they would be high enough. They would be righteous enough by what they did to be counted right with God. But what Paul has argued in the book of Romans and other places is that the law never taught that. The law never intended to say, it does not say, that if you do all these things, right, and you can, then you will be righteous in God's sight. What the law says, it tells you to do these things, and it says God will be pleased if you do them, but it also says you can't do it. You, You can't keep it. You can't live up to it. What the law pointed to was not only that we're all sinners, that's the purpose of the law, is to show us our sin, but also that the only way to be righteous is through faith in God's promised Savior, the Messiah. So, for example, Romans chapter 3, remember that long series of quotations Paul gives us where he says, we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Right? And then he, he starts quoting from the scriptures. None is righteous. No, not one. There's no one that seeks for God. Right? There's no one who's worthy, etc., etc., etc. All that's from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, and Paul says, the, the law's purpose is to show us our sin, to give us a knowledge of our sin. And then he says, again in chapter 3 of, uh, of Romans, starting in verse 21, he says, But... Now the righteousness of God has been manifested or or displayed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the way to be righteous has been made known, and the way to be righteous is not through keeping the law. But we're not throwing out the law, because the law and the prophets themselves tell us about this way to be righteous apart from trying to do good works and do enough of them that we'll be righteous before God. So what is this righteousness? Verse 22 of Romans 3. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, even in the Old Testament, God was telling his people, here's the standard if you want to live a righteous life, here's what you've got to do. But all over the Old Testament, it was telling us and showing us, you can't do it. You can't live up to it. You can't keep it. You're not capable. You need a new heart. You need God to do something inside of you to change who you are, to enable you to do the things that God wants you to do. You need to turn away from yourself and away from your sin and toward this Messiah that God has promised to send because He's the one who can save you. He's the one through whom you can be righteous before God. And that's what the Passover was about, and that's what the sacrifices were about, and that's what the whole priesthood and the temple and the tabernacle and all those things were about was about you can't come into the presence of God on your own as you are. You need a Redeemer. You need a savior you need a righteousness that is greater than yours. And what he's, what Paul is saying is that the Jews, though that's right there in the Old Testament, though Paul has argued all through this letter that that's what the Old Testament teaches, many of the Jews didn't see it. And you go back to the the book of Exodus where God gave the law, he gave the 10 commandments. When God gave Israel the 10 commandments, did he say If you will keep these commandments, then I will love you and you'll be righteous. You'll be my people. No. No. He said, I've rescued you. I've redeemed you. I've loved you. Now, are you willing to obey? If you'll obey, then you can keep being my people. Right? That was part of the covenant. If you if you obey, right, then you'll be my people. But you don't become my people by keeping the law perfectly. You become my people by my act of grace redeeming you from Egypt, and you agreeing to follow me. Right? Uh, That's just the way the gospel works. Right? You're going to come to Jesus. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to trust in Him. You're going to walk in His way. Uh, the, The the law in the Old Testament, in other words, was never given by God as a ladder. It was given by God to say, You're my people, now here's how you should act like it. Here's what it means to live like it. But the Jews didn't receive it that way. They received it as a way to attempt to make themselves righteous. The Gentiles, on the other hand, knew they weren't righteous. They knew they weren't righteous. They knew, as far as the God of Israel was concerned, they were outsiders. They had no privileges. They had no promises. They had no claim to that God, to his favor, to his love, to his grace whatsoever. And so when they heard that the Messiah of Israel was also a Savior for Gentiles, most of them, the ones who responded rightly, they didn't respond thinking, okay, well now we've got to get circumcised and now we've got to keep the Ten Commandments and now we've got to obey the Sabbath. No. They just said, I believe in that Messiah. I want Him to save me. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be. I believe that's the one true and living God and I want to belong to Him. That's why Paul says, back in verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. It's not that they did a better job of keeping the Old Testament law than the Jews did. Nobody did a good job of keeping the Old Testament law. But the Gentiles responded to the gospel in faith, and so they received God's righteousness, the gift of righteousness that's given to all who believe. That's what being justified means. Your sins are forgiven, and God gives you, uh, declares you righteous. Right? And so they received that. Meanwhile, many of the Jews are still trying to work on their own righteousness. Right? It, it, think, think about it like this. If you were a mathematician, and for most of us, that's that's, gonna, that's a feat of imagination, right? But imagine that you're a mathematician, and there is this notoriously complex but super important equation that you wanted to solve, and you've been working your whole life trying to figure out how to solve this equation, and then this guy shows up and says, I can tell you how to solve that equation, and he shows you how to work it out, but it's nothing that you've ever seen before. It's totally different than the way you've ever looked at that equation or any equation before. He's showing you how it it makes sense. He's working it out and and shows you the answer, but you, you think to yourself, This guy doesn't even look like a mathematician. The stuff he's saying is totally foreign to everything I've ever worked on my entire life. He can't be right. I don't want him to be right. You you probably won't say that to anybody else, but you, you don't want him to be right. You've devoted so much of your life to trying to do this the other way that you won't listen. There's some other people who are not mathematicians, and he starts talking to them. And he shows them how to work the problem out. And they're like, that makes sense to me. You both get an exam with this notorious problem on it. Who gets a good grade on the exam? Who passes? Not you, because you're too stubborn to see it the right way. But these guys who haven't been studying their home, that's what it feels like, right? This problem between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews have been studying the scriptures. They've been trying to keep the law. They've been anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And when he gets there, they're like, no, that can't be him. This can't be right. This guy doesn't seem to keep the Sabbath. He's not at all what we expected. He's, you know, he's rebuking us instead of the Gentiles. And they reject him. Paul goes and preaches to the synagogues and the Messiah had to suffer. The Messiah had to rise. No, no, we don't think so. Gentiles hear this and and, and many of them are like, yes, yes. Yes, a Savior that loves me, that died for me, that rose for me. I can have redemption and salvation with this one God. I'm in. I believe. That's what happened. Now, um, here's where the text gets a little more difficult. The end of verse 32, he says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now, what is the stumbling stone that the Jews have stumbled over? Well, at first, it looks like the stumbling stone is this issue of faith versus works, right? Because that's what Paul's just been saying in verse 31. The Gentiles received righteousness by faith. The Jews pursued the law by, as if it was by works, and they fell short, right? So it Sounds like at first that the stumbling stone is, is the need to believe instead of the need to try and, um, <clears throat> and be righteous by your deeds. But then when you read verse 33, where he quotes from Isaiah, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, that sounds like the stone is a person, right? Sounds like it's Jesus, Um, But then if you go back and read Isaiah 28.16, where most of this quote comes from, it says, Behold, I am the one who who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. There it sounds like the stone is this principle, this promise. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Now, um, you know that I love to dig into these Old Testament quotations and explain their context and explain how Paul is using them. And uh, I can't explain this one. part of what makes this one extra difficult is it's not only a quote of Isaiah 28.16 but scholars tell us there's also a part of Isaiah 8.14 where uh, God says he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Israel he took part of that verse and he took part of Isaiah 28.16 and he melded them together and that's not totally out of the ordinary that's not the only place that happens in the New Testament But how all those things came together and and what, uh, when I I read Isaiah 28, 16, I mean, I just couldn't put together how all this works. Um, One scholar I was reading this week, uh, getting a lot of help from, he said, The identification of the stone as Christ is not immediately evident in verse 32, but it is confirmed by the citation of the Old Testament in verse 33, and I would add it gets clearer if you go ahead and go into chapter 10, right? Because, again, like I said here, is it faith and works? Is it the promise about not being in haste? Is it, is it just about believing? Is it about Jesus? And in one sense, all those things are wrapped up together, right? I mean, all those things go together. Jesus as the stone and faith versus works. I mean, you can't have Jesus and works, right? It has to be Jesus and faith. So they all go together, right? Um, But what this is telling us so far, right? So before we get into chapter 10 for just a minute, what this is saying so far is that not just for Jews, but for anyone, if you read the Bible and try to live in accord with the Bible as if what the bible is saying is do these things and god will love you do these things and you will be righteous then you have fundamentally misunderstood the bible the the basic message of the bible is god has a holy standard for us but we can't meet it we are sinners But God loved us and sent His Son into the world to die for us on the cross. He raised Him from the dead. He's seated at His right hand. One day He will return, and everyone who has turned to Him and trusted in Him will have their sins forgiven, will be righteous uh, before God, will live with Him in a new creation uh, with life and joy and peace and righteousness forever. That's the basic message of the Bible. If we miss Jesus, if we miss the call to turn from sin and to respond to God's promises and God's salvation with faith, then we too have stumbled over the stumbling stone. It's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough even to try to obey the Bible. If you misunderstand what the Bible is calling you to do, then even your response can be wrong. Just like the Jews were. Now, uh, these first four verses of Romans uh, chapter ten uh, go really quick, and I think they clear up uh, what Paul was saying uh, here at the end of chapter nine. He, and now, and again. Um, that big number 10, you know, it can be kind of like the, the doors at the grocery store. You walk through the gro- the doors of the grocery store and you forget all the things you were thinking of right before you walked in. Your, your list is gone. You know, sometimes the chapter numbers are like that. You, you, whatever just happened in chapter 9, it's totally gone, right? New chapter. no, 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 no. Don't let it do that. He's talking about the same thing. He didn't put that number there. It's helpful for reference for us, but the conversation is continuing on along the same lines. He, said, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That ought to be our desire and our prayer as well for the Jewish people in particular to be saved, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but for all who are lost, right, to pray for them to come to faith in Jesus. And then he says about the Jews in particular, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's not saying that the Jews don't actually care about God, like they're just pretending to be interested in the law. No, they really do care about God. But they've missed something significant, right? It's a a zeal that is not according to knowledge. What knowledge do they lack then? Verse 3, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That might be the clearest, most important sentence about what has gone wrong with the Jewish people. And they were ignorant of the righteousness of God, he says. Now that doesn't mean they were ignorant of the truth that God is righteous. They know God's righteous. That's why they're trying to keep the law and be righteous themselves. What they are ignorant of is the righteousness that God gives. Right? The righteousness God, uh, Paul was talking about in Romans 3 and in Romans 4. The, uh, the righteousness that God talks about in Genesis 15, 6 when it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The Jewish people had missed that, misunderstood that. In fact, there's, one, there's at least one significant uh, Jewish writing called uh, First Maccabees where they sort of put together this idea of Abraham being counted righteous with Abraham's obedience in being willing to sacrifice Isaac. They got confused. Genesis 15 is not about Abraham being counted righteous because he obeyed. It's Abraham being counted righteous because he believed. But most of the Jews had missed that. So they were ignorant of this gift of God's righteousness, and so what did they do? They were seeking to establish their own. They knew they had to be righteous in order to have fellowship with God, but they didn't know that God would give them righteousness if they trusted in the Messiah or the promises about the Messiah before he came. And so what they were doing was they were trying to make themselves righteous by doing enough good works. And that's what you see the Pharisees and the scribes doing. That's why they're so upset with Jesus and other people. They've added some extra rules about how to be righteous. And Jesus isn't following those. And neither are his disciples. Why are you letting them do this on the Sabbath? Why are they not fasting and washing your hands according to the rituals and all this stuff? Why aren't you doing the righteous things? Because there's a different way to be righteous. But because they didn't understand that, they did not submit to God's righteousness. When God said, here's the way to be righteous. You admit that you're a sinner. You turn to my Son, your Savior, Jesus the Messiah. You trust in Him and I will count you righteous. They didn't submit to that. They wouldn't give in to that. They wouldn't embrace that. They were trying to be righteous on their own. But the problem with that is verse 4. Christ is the end or the goal or the point of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The point of the law is not to lay out a way for you to achieve righteousness. The point of the law is to point you to Jesus so that you can be righteous in Him. That's the point, and that's what they missed. So we need to do more than just read the Bible. It's good to read the Bible. It's important to read the Bible. But we need to do more than read the Bible. We need to understand the Bible rightly, and we need to respond to it rightly. We're always encouraged when we find out about somebody who, as far as we know, is not a Christian, and they say, hey, I've been reading the Bible lately. Well, that's good, Right? But we also know that doesn't automatically make them a Christian. Even if they say, you know, I found some really good things in the Bible and I'm I'm trying to live better. Well, that's encouraging too, right? That's better than not trying to live better. That's, That's good. That's good. But if you really keep reading the Bible and you understand what the Bible is really saying, eventually you're going to say, you know, I've been I've been trying to read the Bible and I've been trying to do what the Bible says and I can't do it. I can't do it. And then hopefully at some point you realize what the Bible is saying is not only you can't do it, but Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a perfect death in the place of sinners like you and me who can't live a perfectly righteous life. And that the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, the whole Bible is driving us to Him. The whole Bible is saying, here's the one way, the one way to be right with God, the one way to have your sins forgiven, the one way to be restored to perfect fellowship with God. You can't do it, but Jesus has done it. Don't stumble over Him, but trust in Him. And you will experience and receive All the blessings that God has promised all throughout the Scriptures.